Welcome to a Stonewall's Perspective Podcast. We're on a mission to see lives changed by the gospel, one life at a time. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of a Stonewall's Perspective Podcast. I'm your host, Alexander Stone. Today, I have another special guest with me. He is part of Josh McDowell's ministry, and he was actually trained directly by Josh McDowell himself. Please welcome Matthew Tingblad. Today, Matthew and I are going to be talking about apologetics and defense of our faith and some tough questions that uh, people have about the Bible. So please enjoy today's episode. Hey, Alex, do you hear me? I do hear you. Great. Um, So so today we're going to be talking about apologetics. But before I kind of get into that, uh, can you kind of tell everyone a little bit about your story, uh, how you got involved with uh, Josh McDowell's ministry? Sure. Yeah. I mean, my uh, my story is kind of a unique one in some ways and in other ways not with Josh McDowell ministry, because um, you have to oftentimes think that in order to sort of get in, you need to have some sort of lead or, you know, some people in high places. I just applied and got accepted. Um, that's what happened with me and Josh McDowell ministry. And there's not much other to report other than that. Um, you know, if I go back a little bit, I, I suppose uh, my my sort of move into ministry began when I felt a, a calling to like a, a full-time like teaching vocational ministry during my college years. And after I graduated, I decided that I would, um, I would join uh, crew, uh, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, but now they're just crew international here. Um, and, and I became a part of that, that ministry. And as I was applying to be an intern for crew, uh, there's a little spot during the online application where you click a button and there's a drop-down menu that shows the different types of internships you can apply for. And so as, as I was scrolling for the one to do campus ministry in my local region, I saw that there was also an internship position for Josh McDowell ministry as his traveling intern. Uh, and so I thought, oh, that's cool. So I applied for both. Um, that year, uh, someone else uh, applied sooner and was already accepted. And so I was I didn't get accepted to travel with Josh that year, but instead I served a wonderful year um, up in the Fargo-Moorhead area on campus staff. And then the next year I applied earlier and I was accepted. So I began um, my new journey with Josh McDowell ministry, traveling with them um, and uh, just being Josh's uh, assistant on the road, which was a whole lot of fun because it meant, um, of course, getting to know Josh, getting to know his family. Sean McDowell is also a, a pretty well known apologist, and he was a lot of fun to meet as well. I ran Josh's PowerPoints. I carried some of his stuff, you know, and um, and I uh, just built a friendship with him that way. Yeah, that's so cool that you were, um, that you got to know Josh McDowell. And in knowing Josh McDowell, you probably learned a lot about defending our faith and, and uh, a lot about apologetics. So with that being said, um, with what you have learned under Josh McDowell, what what is apologetics? So apologetics is a word that we have in the English, which derives from a Greek word that we have in the New Testament. And that Greek word is apologia. Uh, You see this word show up in several spots across the New Testament, but most notably, uh, what a lot of people turn to is 1 Peter 3.15, when he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an apologia to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. And so this word means a defense or a... um, uh, an answer, essentially, uh, for why you believe. 
And that's where we get the word apologetics. And so to define apologetics, uh, you know, you can start with the Greek word and just see what's going on there. But the way that it started to form and, and become its own thing in uh, our, our own world now, I, I think J.P. Moreland does a good job defining it um, when he says, uh, and I'll, I'll just read this off because I have his quote pulled up right here. He says that apologetics is a ministry of helping people with intellectual difficulties so they can grow in or enter the kingdom of God. This is done by answering objections to Christianity and by providing evidence for it. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. Um, so so in, in apologetics, there uh, are ways that Christians should, should practice apologetics, and there are uh, ways that Christians probably shouldn't uh, practice apologetics because uh -huh. of uh, certain reasons. And so what are the ways that Christians uh, should practice apologetics? You know, what comes to mind is actually a story of when I had the opportunity to, to use a little bit of apologetics um, with a young man who showed up at, at my church one day. I, um, I'm, I'm generally not the best at introducing myself to people when I show up at church. Uh, like many of us, there's a temptation to sort of just crowd to the people you already know. Um, right. But I also believe that the church is a place for people to find Christ. And, and part of that is people finding Christ in community. Um, and so um, I saw a guy who I hadn't seen at, at the church before, and I, I walked up and I introduced myself to him. Um, I said, hey, my name is Matthew. I haven't seen you before. What's your name? You know, and, and we started talking, and it, it turned out that this guy, um, he was showing up at a church because there was a friend at a church who continually invited him to come. And he never really wanted to come himself an atheist. Uh, and so we just started talking a little bit about that. And, and he wasn't a... Um, he wasn't like a, a hard atheist where like he hated God or anything. Actually, he was he was at the point in his life where he had just experienced a whole lot of pain and he wanted to to see if um, Christianity really offered healing. Um, and um, and so part of that conversation just led to me asking, like, so, you know, what's what's holding you back from becoming a Christian right now? And he said, well, and he said this kind of sheepishly, <laughs> but he's like, I, I just don't. I don't feel like there's really any good reason to believe that any of this is true. Um, mm -hmm. I could tell that took a little bit of courage for him to say um, to someone like me, who's, who's, you know, a, a Christian, um, but he was just being honest. He's like, I don't think there's really any reason to believe. And, and I, I turned to him and I'm like, well, you know, that there, there, Christianity has talked a lot about why we believe in God and in Christ and in his resurrection and these sorts of things. Are you familiar with, any of the information that we share with regards to this. And he said, no, I, I didn't know that you guys do that. And I'm like, well, can I just share a few things with you? And, and he said, sure. And so I, I shared some basic stuff about why we believe in the existence of God, why we can believe in the resurrection of Jesus um, and these sorts of things. And maybe just, I don't know, just like five minutes of talking and it was just basic stuff. And I remember at the end of it, he, um, <laughs> He, he, he thought I was some kind of genius or something, which is hilarious. He, he knows better now. But the, the, whole, the whole point was um, after I had shared those things with him, suddenly it just put a whole new light on what Christianity might actually be and mean for him and, 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 and what that would even mean for, for, for accepting Christ as his Lord and Savior. He did not uh, choose to receive Christ in that moment. Um, but as the weeks went on, he kept on showing up back at church. And eventually 
it started to feel more and more like home, more and more like this was a family and more and more like God really was present in this place. And so um, he, he started taking communion and he got baptized and um, like that, now he's serving in the church and uh, just an extraordinary brother in, in God. Um, so as I, as I reflect back on this and just kind of the cool opportunity that I had, ap apologetics was a part, um, but it wasn't the whole thing, certainly. Um, his being around a church family and getting to experience the love of God in all these kinds of ways contributed to everything that led to him turning to Christ. And so as I think about how we practice apologetics, um, that's the first thing is, is that it is, it's not, uh, it's not like the thing that brings people to Christ. It's a part of it. It's, it's, it's one tool on our tool belt as evangelists and as people who want to um, make an impact for God in this world. Um, and we need to, we need to know how to get into that world for those who ask. Right. Yep. You know, I definitely believe that apologetics uh, should be something that is taught uh, a lot in today's day and age. I mean, just look at everything that is going on uh, in the world right now. People are turning away from their faith. My generation uh, and generation uh, or millennials are turning away from their faith after um, they have grown up and, and left the house and everything. Mm -hmm. And and I'm just deeply concerned for everyone that, that professes to be a Christian who is um, around my age or a little older or or in general everyone okay and and the reason why is because people don't i feel like people don't preach and teach apologetics as much i mean um last year there was a there was a man named marty sampson he was the mm -hmm. lead, one of the singers at hillsong he he renounced his faith set and uh gave that up recently john steingard the uh, the lead singer of a christian band named john stein named um Hawk Hawk Nelson, Nelson. right yeah right and, and people are just turning away from their faith and i believe that if if people um turn back to uh apologetics and and teaching it and uh what the bible says and and giving a defense for our faith um and why it's why the bible is true and how the bible is true then then people um will continue in their faith and continue what they have believed their whole life. And I believe that the, the, the church has gone wrong in some areas, making, making um, the church more about experience and, and instead of real Bible teaching. And it's saddening. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, uh, I just feel like apologetics needs to be uh, something that is taught in every every day like um and, and as i'm saying this i i keep thinking about the laodicean church uh -huh. in in revelation chapter three in which it says these things says the amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of god i know your works that you are neither hot or cold i could wish that you were cold or hot so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot i will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich in white, in white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness uh, may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes as the eye salve that you may see. 
As many as I love, I rebuke and chase, and therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Mm-hmm. And I believe that we're living in this Laodicean church age where people are neither hot or cold. They're just mm-hmm. lukewarm. And um, if they're lukewarm, Jesus doesn't like that. And I believe that if we teach apologetics and we truly um, make Jesus known and teach the Bible, then then people will not be lukewarm, that they will be um, how Christ likes us to be. Um, and it, it, it starts with apologetics, I believe, that, that people be taught it and know uh, how our faith and it is right and how what we believe is right. Yeah, I think there's a connection there um, with these kinds of things. Uh, you know, there, there can be all sorts of stuff that throw people into kind of a state of being lukewarm. One of them certainly right. is when you've grown up in the church, or even if you haven't, but you became a Christian, and um, maybe you had a great buzz at first when you first accepted Christ, but you, you came mm-hmm. to realize that, like, oh, how do I even know that this is real? And then suddenly the Bible just, it's like, how can I trust this word? It, like a lot falls apart when you're not confident in, in um, the reality of, of God and of, of the resurrection of Christ. And so, you know, when all those things are now in turmoil, that can lead people to sometimes almost shut themselves off. And, and, and Christianity becomes this kind of routine, maybe that they feel trapped in, um, which... Uh, leads to shutting down and becoming lukewarm. And, and so I, I see a connection there, kind of what you're saying. And I, and I do believe with you that it's, it's very important that apologetics becomes a part of, of um, just basic church teaching. For some churches it is, and for others it's not. I, I remember um, going back to Marty Sampson, who you mentioned, it was interesting reading what Marty said, because um, if I can recall his 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 words close enough to do him justice. He basically said, uh, like, how do you respond to a God who would kill innocent women and children in the Canaan Wars? He said, nobody right. talks about that. He said, how do you know that the, that the resurrection of Christ really happened? Nobody talks about that, Marty said. We're talking about yep. it. And, and what's, what's just remarkable to me is Marty appears to either be denying or just living in this world where nobody's talking about it, <laughs> at least sort of in his mm-hmm. frame of view. And and I think um, it was a great tragedy that he was never exposed or he refused to acknowledge that we've talked about it. Um, we've talked a lot right. about it. And there's good responses to the kinds of questions that people have. Mm-hmm. And, and like, like you just said a, a few minutes ago, like people have this buzz when we become Christians. It's like we have this Jesus high for a few days or whatever, but people turn away from Jesus when it starts to cost them mm-hmm. something. And we need to strive to be like God every single day. Um, and not just have that high for a week or two when we become a Christian or whatever. Um, and that, that's, that's where the church has gone wrong. People want to be on a high or whatnot on Sundays because of the church experience, but that's not what God cares mm-hmm. about. The, the Lord doesn't care about our happiness or our experience. He cares about our holiness. Um, and the church has turned away from, from that and turned away 
uh, and turned to an experiential kind of system. And it's saddening. To it me. is. And I think just to bounce off what you were sh saying there too is um, one of the reasons why this is so devastating for the church is because it, it's not just this, it's not just this like sort of idea that you get high and then like you're kind of sad, but um, the church oftentimes, um, the church presents Christianity as if that is Christianity, as if being mm -hmm. high and being full of joy all the time and, and bouncing around like that's right. that's true spirituality. And people oftentimes will get that by the grace of God. They'll experience just this incredible delight or, or consolation, as theologians call it, um, where you experience God. But then there's oftentimes a stage in the Christian journey where you find that um, that the the kind of joy that you once knew um, is is being replaced by God. Um, it, his kind of felt presence starts to fade away, it seems, uh, but his nearness is still there. And I think what people often feel is like, oh, I was I was this, but now I'm this. What's wrong with me? Um, this, you know, I, I have I have to get back here. It could actually be that God is taking you down to some places of of quietness um, as a way to, to teach you new things. And I don't think people are very familiar with the idea that God might do that. Um, so there's that kind of shepherding yeah. that needs to take place in the church as well, on, on top of apologetics. Yeah, I agree. Um, so so uh, we talked about kind of how Christians should practice apologetics. Uh -huh. What are some ways that Christians shouldn't practice apologetics? <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you for asking a question like that. Um, when I defined apologetics at the beginning, 1 Peter 3.15, um, I left out 1 Peter 3.16, and that's an important piece to this whole puzzle. Um, to quote it in full, 1 Peter 3.15 and 16, he says, But in your hearts, for your Christ is Lord, I was being prepared to give an answer, an apologia, to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ would be ashamed of their slander. And I find that this piece about about presenting apologetics with gentleness and respect is an important part that, that we need to take care of. And if we're not doing that, then we're not doing apologetics properly. Um, I right. can, I find that this issue, this malpractice of apologetics is very prevalent on um, social media and on YouTube. Um, and to just give you some kinds of examples is um, you'll see these videos um, where it'll say something like 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 Lee Strobel, who's a famous apologist. Uh, it'll say something like mm -hmm. Lee Strobel destroys atheist or, you know, William Lane Craig owns like skeptic, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm seeing this and I'm like, where is this battle right now? Are, are we are we fighting against people or are we fighting for truth? Um, I saw another right. another uh, uh, thing from a very famous, a very famous uh, Christian. Um, who was featured on a video responding to an atheist in the thumbnail of that video was the atheist asking the question, but they like imposed like beady red demon eyes on him to say like, this is atheism. Like these demons that like such and such atheist needs to destroy. And, and it's honestly, it's so heartbreaking for me, Alex. I, yeah. I, mm -hmm. I'm not really at a place right now in my own journey that um, people would like, use me as like a, a as like some sort of mainstream apologetic voice but i am um, 
I would, I would, I would never want somebody to take material from me and to turn it into this kind of war against atheism. I, 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 I don't want that image impressed on me at all. And I'm sure the same could be said for many of those famous apologists to whom that has happened. Um, we need to wake up to this as a church and to not practice apologetics as if, um, as if, as if the atheists is our enemy. They are not. Um, mm -hmm. The story is good news for them and they are made in the image of God and loved by God just as much as we are. Um, and, and, and I believe that right. we need to learn how to honor these people as we respond to their questions. I, I definitely agree. Um, and I, think, I, feel, I feel like we need to uh, do it in love as well. Like, mm -hmm. like you were talking about the thumbnail just made it look completely evil. It's not, it's um, making people turn away from Christ because of, because of how we uh, present Christ and we need to do it in love in first Corinthians uh, I, 10, I think it talks all about a love, mm -hmm. all about love. Sorry. First Corinthians yeah, 13 the big love chapter. Yeah. And, and, and Christians will be marked by, by our love. And when we do it in a way that uh, is hateful, why would any, any atheist or anyone else want to come to know Christ if we uh, defend our faith in yeah, hate. Exactly. And even more to the point, why would an atheist turn to you if if he or she was um, mm -hmm. starting to to re-question his or her beliefs and like you know like if 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 that that friend that I witnessed to at church um, and shared some apologetics if if he already knew me and he knew that I was producing videos like this, he would never turn to me for help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Me either. Um, yeah. So uh, there are some questions that people like a the atheists have uh, about Christianity, things like what about all the contradictions mm -hmm. in the Bible? Um, so, so what, what do you say to someone who brings up the supposed uh, contradictions in the bible yeah um so that's a that's a great question and i think one of the challenges with this question is sometimes we mean different things even when we say contradiction um, because there's several different ways mm -hmm. that i could frame this objection or or there's several different ways i could frame this question um you might say that the bible contradicts in its in its textual witnesses that is you have different manuscripts of the bible which um, contradict with each other. And so how do we know that the Bible like that we have today is the same that was written several thousand years ago? You might talk about how there's contradictions um, with the Bible and in, in what it says across different books. So for instance, uh, very common, this question is framed in like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who tell the story of Jesus, but they, they, they use different details. And there's a concern that there's contradictions going on on that level. Um, some might say that the Bible contradicts with factual data about the world. For instance, uh, you read about Joshua and the Canaan Wars and then look at archaeology and, and something doesn't line up and, and you think, oh, the Bible has a contradiction here. Um, some might say that the Bible contradicts on theological issues. Um, on, uh, for instance, Paul talks about grace. Uh, James talks about works. And we think that these are contradictory situations going on. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways that this could go. And I think, you know, when a question like that is, is brought up, I just want to be sensitive and maybe probe a little more to figure out what exactly is being asked. Um, but I'll tell you this, I, I think the most common issue whenever contradictions are brought up would be um, contradictions between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
um, particularly Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as, mm -hmm. as you have um, these people all telling the story of Christ, and yet these, these stories have differences in their details, in the kinds of information included, um, that there are, there are these, these, these problems here that, um, that we find ourselves faced with. Let me, let me begin um, by mentioning, I think, one thing that's important. Um, just because there is a contradiction, like let's assuming that there are contradictions, um, which, which I, I, would, I would challenge that assumption, but just for the sake of argument, assuming that there are contradictions uh, between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, does that necessarily mean that Jesus never resurrected from the dead? No. Does that necessarily no. mean that Jesus was never born of a virgin? Does that necessarily mean that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life who saves us from our sins so that we can be with God? Right. And no. so the issue about contradictions here is important. And obviously, if there's, if there's way too many contradictions, then at, at some point you're going to look at that and be like, well, how can I trust this as a whole? And that's fair. Um, but when it comes to contradictions in general, I, I think it's important to realize like you don't have to believe that the Bible is fully pieced together with zero contradictions in order to in order to appreciate the message that God has for this world through Christ. However, um, it's the 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 issue of contradictions is very important in terms of Christian growth, in terms of uh, appreciating the Bible for all it's worth. It's very important theologically for the the doctrine of the infallibility of Scripture and these kinds of things. And so, I would never encourage somebody to to challenge um, that the the idea that the Bible is is the fully inspired Word of God. Um, on that end, uh, mm -hmm. I think that there's plenty to say regarding these issues that that people observe with contradictions. Um, I find as I study these different examples, for instance, if you have in Luke the story of uh, two elders coming, pleading on the behalf of a sick servant of a centurion, um, whereas in Matthew, the same stories we told, but it's the centurion who comes um, pleading to Jesus for the healing of his sick servant. What's going on there? Is, is Luke right or is Matthew right? Is it the elders who came or is it the centurion who came? Well, when you look at uh, the, the culture and how things were conveyed in the time, um, you might have somebody going on behalf of somebody else, and that somebody else is a person whose name is being presented. Um, so what I suspect, uh, looking at these two stories, is that the centurion sent these two elders. Matthew is writing shorthand to say that the centurion came. That might sound deceptive to our ears in the West, but to the ears of the Jews and to the original audience uh, that was hearing this message, it was actually, um, it was normal. And they didn't just assume that um, it really was one way or the other, because they know that you can, you can abbreviate in that kind of way. Um, similar to right. say like genealogies, you know, you have, you have the, the stories of the father of who, the father of someone, the father of someone, the father of someone, the father of of John, the, fa the, the, the father of Christ. And, and then in, in other accounts, you have different names being presented in these genealogies. Um, us as modern readers would expect that the genealogies would reflect the same and that there would be no differences between them. But there are many differences mm -hmm. in the genealogies presented by Matthew and Luke of Christ, different people in his family line. Well, why is that? Um, and there's different responses that can be given. For instance, one could be tracing the line of, of, of Mary, whereas the other of Joseph. You could have 
oftentimes people who are brought into the family through legal induction practices and these sorts of things. The word for father often means descendant in the in the original Greek. And so just because we see a, the, the name, the word father doesn't necessarily mean the next in line, but it could mean a descendant of so and so. Um, so there's all different sorts of right. things that we need to account. And, and so to sort of wrap this up in terms of disagreements, um, I would say that there are challenges, but as we learn more about the Greek culture, about um, Jewish writing, about culture, about how they communicated, what they intended to say, as we learn more about that, then these challenges that we have are getting smaller and smaller. And I believe that almost all of the apparent contradictions we have in the New Testament um, can be reasonably solved. And the ones remaining um, are, are um, the, one, the, the problems that remain that are still difficult to solve. It seems like just because of the way that we've been going, eventually they will be solved. Right. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, that's good. Uh, especially like with the, the different gospel um, accounts, they're, they're going to uh -huh. be different, honestly, because it's from four different um, points of view. And I never really understood the, the whole, oh, this gospel says one thing, the, the, that gospel says another, because it's very obvious that they're from different points of view. Mm -hmm. um, with that being said, uh, what another tough sure. thing, I guess you could say, what if someone attacks your character because of your faith? Well, then Jesus says that you're blessed in Matthew 5. Blessed are those mm -hmm. who, who speak evil right. against you. And um, uh, same with First Peter. He, he draws it out even further. He says uh, that, you know, when, when people mistreat you, when you're persecuted for your faith, he says that's an extraordinary blessing because so also was Jesus. And the fact that we get to walk in the steps of Jesus, even if they are hard steps, Peter says this is an extraordinary thing um, and something that we can praise God for even. So, um, yeah. And then, well, I, let, let, me just, let me just add this real quick. You, at the you end. go, you go. Um, you know, if somebody attacks you because of your faith, receive that, receive that blessing. And, and I know for many it can be difficult, but I would also say this, it could be, that somebody is calling you a jerk because you actually are a jerk. Not you personally, Alex, but just anybody listening. I, I want to be right. careful that like there are honestly just people who, who are trying to stand for Christ, but their idea of love is so twisted that they create a negative image. And because of right. that, people are, are pushing back against them. And that's not, that's not holy persecution. That's, that's you being a jerk. <laughs> and, and so examine yourself in those yeah. areas. But if, if, if you have good intentions and you really are expressing love of Christ, you should expect that there is going to be persecution. The Bible is very clear about this. And for those reasons, you can be grateful to God that his word is showing true and that, um, that he's with you and, and he has a he has a very close heart to those who suffer for his name. Right. That's good. And then the last thing, uh, religion mm -hmm. versus relationship with Christ. And that's something that I've thought about a lot in like the past couple of years that people confuse um, the word religion with, with Christianity and Christianity. Well, it's, it's, uh. it's a religion technically, but I hate calling it a religion because religious religion, Religion is all about works, and that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about a relationship uh, with Christ. And when someone brings up that, that oh, you're too overly religious or whatever uh, thing up to you, what, what do you do? Yeah, um, 
So let me let me frame this just a little bit. Um, you mentioned how technically Christianity is a religion, and you're right on that end. Um, and, and part of it def depends on how we define religion. Um, some definitions of religion, mm -hmm. Christianity absolutely is not that. Other definitions it is. Um, so if you take a very basic idea of religion, that it's a kind of um, just belief in something beyond the natural realm and a, a in orienting your life around that belief, like, yeah, like we believe in God who's supernatural, who's beyond the natural, and we orient our life around him. So to that end, we could call Christianity a religion. Um, I think, I think mm -hmm. oftentimes, like what you said, religion is uh, very often a, a very kind of rule-based system, a system in which we try to obtain life with God, whereas Christianity is a system in which God has, has given us life, and he's the one who initiated this and, and came down and sent his son Jesus to die and, and invites us into relationship with himself. And uh, to that, I, I would say, like, yeah, like that's, if that's religion, if that's a rule-based kind of thing, if, if that's what we call religion, then Christianity is definitely not that. Um, Right. And and I think I think this kind of idea of of framing religion in this way is is fine, especially since the word religion today oftentimes carries all these negative connotations, which is which are not true of Christianity. Um, and so I, I think to sort of push away from that word is is a fine move, especially as you're thinking like an evangelist, trying to help people understand that God is good and that Christianity is worth it. Um, I tend to stay away from the from the word religion for, for those reasons. Now, if somebody yep. is a little more to your question, if somebody is challenging me saying that, like, I'm, I'm being too religious, um, I, I suppose my first response there is to pause and, and consider if what that person is saying might actually be true. Um, because there is a temptation in Christianity to, to turn your relationship with Christ into a kind of rule-based religion. And... Um, and so if somebody is bringing that out, then I want to be very attentive to that and to see if that person might actually be onto something and then bring that to God and seek his healing and forgiveness. Um, now, if somebody is just in a very offensive kind of way, not acting like a loving brother, but acting like a hostile who just wants to put me down and say, you're being religious, that's a different kind of thing. Um, and to that end, uh, you know, it's, I, I would want to ask questions like, why do you suppose that is? Um, and to see if he can sort of nail that down. Mm -hmm. And then um, most likely, if, he, if he's being hostile, then there's probably something going on with how I'm perceived by him. And if I can understand what that is, then I can maybe help make some corrections and, um, and show him that I'm, I'm not in any way trying to, to make this into a rule-based thing. And I hope that you would never see Christianity that kind of way. Right. Yeah. Um, there's the, like I said, just a few minutes ago, um, a lot of religion is based on works and everything. And, and a prime example of, of religiosity, I guess, yeah. for a lack of a better word, I guess, um, is in Galatians, like the church of Galatia, they were, they had turned so soon from the real gospel to a, a works-based uh, religion and and Paul is saying like I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Jesus Christ to a different gospel and and I believe that uh, when we get so far into religious like tradition or whatever 
that we forget the reality of what Christianity is and we uh, start chasing a false uh, mm-hmm. false theology of um, of that Christ that uh, works can get you to heaven and yeah. that's not true. and um, and also as we think about this I mean this this really finds its culmination in Galatians chapter three. Um, that's where Paul is just hard hitting. Mm-hmm. You foolish Galatians, who bewitched you yeah. to think this terrible yeah. thing that you could accomplish your own salvation uh, through your own works? Um, one of the things I find helpful is Paul points out to the Galatians in that moment. He says, "How were you saved?" He says, "You understand that much. You understand mm-hmm. that that you were that you were saved because of the grace of God." And so Paul says, "Okay, since you understand that, like, don't you realize that this is also how God carries you through the rest of your Christian life?" Um, so he he's saying, think right. this through. Like, it's not like you're saved by the grace of God. And then from that point forward, you have to work your way to heaven. It's like, no, no, no. Just as you were saved. So also God carries you through into um, a finalized salvation where he returns and and, and you see him in glory. Um, on another note there, I, I, I believe this is a really important subject, Alex, um, because as I even look at how Paul responds to the different kinds of issues facing his church, you also have you also have First Corinthians where there's uh, extraordinary disunity in there. You have Colossians where they are trying to add to Christ and do other things. And I find that I find that of all these right. different issues, all of them are are important issues. But of all these different issues, Paul seems to have the strongest language against the Galatians because this gets at the heart of the gospel itself. Yep. And so he wants to be very careful mm-hmm. to um, to lead people into salvation properly and into utterly destroy any kind of heretical belief, um, whether intentional or unintentional, that would lead people mm-hmm. away from salvation in Christ. Right. Like, like, like you just said a few minutes ago, uh, that talking about salvation, are you so foolish? I'm going to read Galatians three verse three. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Uh, are you now right. being made perfect by the flesh? And that's where the Galatians were wrong. They started out in the spirit. They were doing fine. And then they gave in to the Judaizers who were preaching another false gospel about, about mm-hmm. works-based religion and everything. Not and that's the not the gospel. Yeah. Right. Um, so with all of this being said, uh, that's going to come to an end of today's episode. Uh, so Matthew, I want to thank you uh, again for, being on today's episode and um i hope that if anyone is listening to this i hope you enjoy thank you alex i appreciate um, being have a good on day, your Matthew. show take care if you haven't heard about anchor by spotify it is the easiest way to make a podcast it has everything you need all in one place let me explain first of all anchor has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer when hosting on anchor you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor, it's totally free. So if you are looking to record a podcast, go to the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope you enjoyed. You can also check us out at Stonewall's Perspective on Facebook and Instagram to keep up with the latest news. Stay anchored.